It's good to be here. Thank you for having me back again. I think this is about the third time this year that I've been here, I believe. And today we will answer that question. How many of you remember what it was? Okay, we've got one that remembers what I'm supposed to answer. God's providence. And especially this morning, we want to look at God's providence over life and death. Life and death is about every one of us. Nobody gets out of being born. Nobody gets out of dying. It's our life. It's what happens in between in our life. It's where we see God's providence working the most in our lives. God's providence has been working before the creation of the world, and it will continue to work for all eternity. So we want to look at what is God's providence, and especially his providence in death. Death has been a part of our world since Adam and Eve. We will all die. And we spend a lot of time taking care of our bodies to see how long we can live. And how comfortable we can live here on earth. Hopefully without pain, but that doesn't happen. Doesn't work that way. And we're always working to prepare our bodies in some way. And everybody has advice for us in taking care of our bodies. And the Bible has a tremendous amount of advice in taking care of our spiritual life. Preparing for our spiritual life in eternity, which means when we die, we live because of Christ. And we think about going to heaven. One of the things I believe we need to think more about, and I've always thought, what's heaven going to be like? Spending time meditating on that and saying, yes, I want what heaven has for me. How do I achieve that? How do I bring God's blessings into my life now and in heaven for eternity? But ask the question, what two things are necessary that we have to do in life to get to heaven? And you're all thinking, well, we've got to accept Christ. I thought that was the only thing, accept Christ by faith alone. But there's a second thing we have to do to go to heaven after that, and that is to die. Death is not the worst thing in life. Death does bring a lot of grieving, and the Bible even speaks about that grieving that we have for each other. Paul said when Epaphroditus almost died, he prayed to the Lord and said, I'm glad you spared him. So I don't have to go through grief upon grief. So there is grief. And when you think about death this way, that there is the reward that we're going to go to heaven. And then purposely thinking about our lives here today and how you can intentionally improve your life now by thinking about God's providence in death. To understand a little more about God's providence, we want to get into that a little bit. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, a verse 
we will start with this morning. Uh, this morning I want to go through a lot of different verses. Quite often, in the majority of the time, I preach through passages of Scripture. Uh, I like to do that, but also like to do topical looks at the Bible from time to time as well, like this morning. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. This is going to answer the question, why should we pray if God is sovereign? What difference does it make? Isn't it all going to just work out anyway? But the answer somewhat here, we're going to, it will be woven into everything this morning. That God does not want us to be puppets. He didn't intend for us to be puppets and just whatever he says, that wouldn't be able or allow to show our love to him. We love him because of who he is, because he is magnificent, he is lovely, he is pure, he is holy, and we love him because of that, not because of what he's done for us, although we do appreciate that, and that causes our affection and love towards him. But we love him for who he is. And he wants us to have that choice because it means more to us and to him. But as far as understanding everything about God right now, we go to verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That is God's providence. His providence is what we want to see uh, as we look to this. Uh, we say that God is sovereign. Everybody here, I would think, would say that God is sovereign. But do we Live that out moment by moment. Circumstance by circumstances, crisis by crisis. Do we live out God's sovereignty? We might ask, what does that really mean in the everyday life? God is sovereign, he's in heaven, he's in control. He owns everything, yes. But what does it mean to me right now, to you sitting here, What's it going to mean when you go home, when you go tomorrow to work, to whatever you do tomorrow? What does that mean? And we want to be able to enhance our walk with the Lord today through some of these scriptures. To enhance our walk with the Lord is to sharpen our walk with the Lord, to open our mind up a little more, our eyes, our ears, Everything about us to who God is. Number one in the outline, as we look at that, everything in life is determined by providence. So if we say everything is determined by God's providence, we have to say, you know, how is that going to impact me? What is it that happens with providence? Letter A. God sees to it. And the verse that we're going to see this in is Genesis 22:14, 14, a passage that is familiar. 
as we look at this, we see that God has called Abraham remember, and Sarai and said, I want you to have a family. I'm going to make your relatives, all of your sons, daughters, and family as numerous as the sand of the seashore. God will do this. Then he has his son Isaac. And God told Abraham, he says, I want you to go up on the mountain and sacrifice your son Isaac to me. You know, that is one of the more shocking parts of scripture, I think. Someone who God called said, I'm going to build my nation through you. And so we look at Genesis 22:14. They're up on the mountain. Abraham is ready to sacrifice his son Isaac. He has the knife up, ready to come down and stab his son through the heart. And God says, wait. Is God mean when he does something like that? Was that necessary? But it sure tested Abraham's faith. Is every trial in our life necessary? Couldn't we do without some of them? But God said, yes, they are necessary. I will use your trials in your life as crucibles to grow you. So Abraham's response when God said, wait, and he said, over here in the thicket is a ram. I'm going to go over and get that ram and as a substitute. Kill this ram as a sacrifice. He did that, and that's when Abraham said, The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And that's all through Scripture. Paul talks about that. God will provide everything we need for life. But the idea of seeing to it that we're looking at here is God's sovereignty is that he knows everything, he's in control of everything, he owns everything, he oversees everything, and he sees to it that it all works out. Colossians 1.17 says, Christ created all things in the heavens, and then he holds it all together. And in your outline, the reference to the idea of providence from John Piper, as we see God's sovereignty over everything, and then we see his providence working as he sees to it that everything gets carried out according to his will. It wasn't all the singing good this morning, the words especially, leading towards God's providence, that his will be done. That's what his providence is. It, it cannot not happen. It will happen. But in the definition here, in reference to God, the noun providence has come to mean, and this is through scripture, the act of purposefully providing for or sustaining and governing. Now, how does that answer the question of, why should we pray if God is sovereign and is already in control? He's going to see that it all happens. One of the ways that helps me understand this is that he sees to it 
that we see to it. Think about that a little bit. He sees to it. He's sovereign. His providence is he's seeing to it. That's life on earth. From holding the universe together, the stars, the sun, the rotation of the earth, all these things, to what happens here on the earth. As the seasons change, they change so precisely. You know, we can put it on the calendar years and years in advance, like this coming Wednesday is the first day of fall, I believe. It just happens because God holds it all together. That's his seeing to it. And then as we live out life, and everybody lives out life all over the earth, he sees to it that we see to it to do his will. That's how that all fits together. He sees to it that we see to it to do his will. But there's a process that we go through. Sometimes we call it a struggle. Sometimes we call it spiritual growth. Sometimes we call it unnecessary from our perspective. But God sees to it that no, it is absolutely necessary that you go through these things. How do we know all of these things? And how do we keep the worldly views from infiltrating, trickling into our life? It's like a coffee maker. You put the grounds in the coffee maker, and as they filter through that, it changes the water into coffee. Just as in our minds, as like a filter sometimes, as what comes into our mind. Like Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, because it's the wellspring of life. What do we let come into our hearts? If we have a filter that is full of holiness, as life comes through that holiness and those thoughts of God's holiness, His sovereignty, it's going to come into us as goodness, righteousness, and holiness into our lives. As Peter said, be holy because I am holy. So we have a command to be holy. Holy is to be separated from profane things, be separated from sin, and be made useful for God's purposes. That is God seeing to it. And that changes constantly. There's no one formula that says this is how it has to happen. So as we look at some aspects of God being in totally control, letter B, he is in control of every death. That's the first blank we have this morning. He's in control. I said it wrong. Okay, now you got to erase that. He is in control of every birth. We want to start with birth before we get to death. He's in control of every birth that there is. We tend to think sometimes that some conceptions are, are not right. They've even been called mistakes. They've been called sinful, maybe in the case of a horrendous a rape case. But God is in control of conceptions. We can't understand it. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Every birth 
he is in control. In Psalm 95, 6, it says, The Lord is our maker. That makes him sovereign, doesn't it? Every one of us was born because of God's sovereignty, because of his providence, because of him seeing to it. Every one of your children, every one that's going to be born from now on, God is in control. And he wants us to do his part. That's why he sees to it that we see to it in life, in carrying out his will. In Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord is God. And when we look at this, we see the word Lord is in capital letters, which means Yahweh. It is the sovereign Lord who is over everything. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. How can you get around that and say, I am my own person? And so many people in the world have bought into, God has nothing to do with my life. You know, we have to keep those thoughts out of our life. We are his because he made us. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And we see that in Psalm. We are the sheep of his pasture. He will provide for us. And as he provides for us, that thought is carried out like John 10 of Jesus being the great shepherd, the good shepherd. So because he made us, we are his We can rest in him. We can be secure in every part of our life. That's how we can face life with all of its trials. And when these trials come, we pray to God, even though he knows the outcome. He's already worked that out. He has ordained it, orchestrated it. He's allowed things all kinds of ways that I don't understand how they all work, but it works, and I trust that. So he works these things out in our life, and we can rest secure in that. Therefore, we can handle things. Therefore, we go to him in prayer, knowing that he already knows what we're going through. He knows what we're going to pray before we pray it. But as we pray, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, we went through all these hardships so that we could depend on Christ. We go through hardships, we pray, we're saying, Lord, I depend on you. And as we depend on God, he acknowledges that. He says, okay, I'm going to work in your life. I'm going to see to it that my will is done. I'm going to see to it that you see to it, that you can carry out my will in your life. I've given you everything you need. Our human thinking resists this, goes against that. You know, our basic human nature defaults to, I can do it myself. If it gets really bad, I'll ask someone else to help me. I'll go to the doctor if it's really necessary. Or other people may take a different view and say, 
I'm going to the doctor all the time, no matter what, because I depend on them. God says, come to me first. Going to the doctor is what God expects of us when we need to. And in seeing our lives in and whose control is our lives in? We think it's us. In James chapter 4, when it says that we are to um, think about planning in life. We're going to go to this city or that city. We're going to carry on business. We're going to do that or do that. Then it says, if it's the Lord's will. We make plans. Proverbs 16, 9 says we make plans in our life. But God directs our steps. How many plans do you have this week that you think God is going to redirect your steps? You you don't know the number. Not asking that because that's impossible. But expect it. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Don't be disappointed. Disappointment can lead to despair. Despair can lead to all kinds of other things till it gets down to Not knowing how to handle life, being depressed. So we say, okay, yeah, there's going to be disappointments this week. That's okay. God's going to help me get through this. And we think about how God works. Some of those in the Bible, the stories that about how God works is in Luke chapter 1 starting in verse 34, and just want to pull a couple things. You know, this. I know you can't read these, you're not supposed to read these scriptures apart from Christmas, but we're going to do it. Mary is approached by an angel. You know, that in and of itself, the angel has to say, don't be afraid. Every time angels appear, they say, don't be afraid, because they are so awesome. And they're nothing compared to God or to Christ, or to the Holy Spirit. But the angel comes to Mary and says she's going to have a baby. And Mary asks the logical question. First, she accepts the fact. She says, okay, but i got to ask you something. I'm a virgin. How can this happen? How can this be? Then the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then it says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The power of the Most High. It was intervening into her life. And think about right now in your life, today, tomorrow, and on, the power of the Most High is intervening in your life. It's the Holy Spirit. She had the Holy Spirit had to come on her and overshadow her. We have the Holy Spirit because we are in Christ. We have that power. That power is at work within us. That's God's sovereignty, His providence working in our lives. Then it says that nothing is impossible with God. And that is nothing is impossible with God as long as it's according to his will. 
You know, it's not that we get everything we want. That's never been the case in Scripture. So letter C, look again at the providence of God. And I wanted to bring in a couple things from the book of Acts, because next week, Pastor Nick is going to be starting you through the book of Acts. Um, you know, I don't know how many chapters he does a week, maybe four, or how many weeks it takes to do a chapter. You say five, and then you look at the 28 chapters in Luke, you're going to be about four years in Acts <laughs> with everything that goes through. But you're going to, it's a fascinating book of the Bible, as they all are, but especially in Acts. Paul, in letter C, was born a Roman citizen. He was born a Roman citizen. In Acts 22.8, he's about to be beaten. And he says, can you do this to a Roman citizen? And so they say, well, no, we can't. And they spare him and they begin to talk to him. God, in his providence, had Paul born a Roman citizen. Well, he says in Acts 22.28, I was born a Roman citizen. So if he was born a Roman citizen, we see God in control of that. Everything happens is in God's control. God sees to it at this point that he was born a Roman citizen so that Paul could see to it he used his citizenship to save a beating at this time and also to appear before kings before high powers of the authorities, the world's authorities at that time. So here we see God, okay, you're a Roman citizen. I want you to take this Roman citizenship, use it to the advantage of speaking to people that the apostles, the other apostles could not accomplish. That is God seeing to it that we see to it. Another look at God's providence is number two. God is in control of all death. We've seen he's in control of birth and how that works. He's in control of death, which is the old question that is asked how many times people ask, wonder when I'm going to die. How much time do I have left? You know, and that is, we see as we look at life, who lives long, who doesn't live long. And we find no answers to that. Letter A, he determines lives to be punishable by death. So go back to the beginning. There has to be death because of the sin of Adam and Eve. He said, you eat off of the tree in the garden in Genesis 2, and you eat off of this tree, you are going to die. And that is a physical death. They did not die right away. They lived hundreds of years. And then the Bible, it says, life was shortened to 120 years. And we're going to see a little continuation of that here in a, in a minute. But God punishes people by death. So we want to talk about the idea of death and God's providence. There are times when God does put people to death because of sin, because of his sovereignty. But every death is because of sin. 
the original sin of Adam and Eve. In Joshua 7, there was uh, Achan's family had sinned. Achan had sinned. His family was going to be punished because of this. They came and brought them out. And God said that you are to stone them. So the rest of the community stoned these people who were guilty. And then it says they burned them. Another one in the book of Acts, come up in chapter 5, you'll see Ananias and Sapphira who uh, promised the Holy Spirit or told the Holy Spirit, you can help us sell our land, we're going to give so much money to the church. Because they had seen Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 sell some property, bring the money, lay it at the apostles' feet, and they got a lot of praise with it. We want this too. So they sold their land, but they said to each other, you know, we got more than what we thought we would get. Maybe that's what they said, I don't know. But what they did, they held back some money. And then they brought it to the church. Then they lied. When the apostle says, is this what you, the amount you sold the land for? And Ananias said, yes, this is it. And because he lied about that, he fell over dead. They took him out and buried him. His wife came in and said, is this what you, the amount you sold the land? Well, she said, yes. She fell over dead, and they buried her. It says, great fear came over the whole congregation. And next week, the offerings doubled. He got a meeting coming up about money, so there's some motivation. <laughs> in number 16... Getting back to what, to Moses. This is before Joshua. Uh, there was some, again, sin in the camp. This time, uh, God did something different. And Moses said for these people who offered unauthorized fire, who were teaching against Moses, against God, Moses said, this is how you will know the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that this is not my idea. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, the Lord has not sent me. In verse 30, but the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them and takes them down to the grave alive then you will know that it is the Lord speaking. This is a miracle in a sense because it's beyond natural. This is all about Korah and his family and what they did. And it says the earth did open up and swallowed all these people right in front of the whole group of Israelites, the Hebrew people. They saw this, and they saw that death is real. We're all going to face death, and we need to have a fear of that. That's why we keep ourselves alive. That's what keeps us protecting ourselves in so many ways. And then it said there were the other 250 men who were offering unauthorized fire or incense before the Lord. And it says... That fire came down from heaven and devoured these people. 
So we know that the Lord was working. And then letter B, he controls life's length. We come back to that question we said earlier. We don't know when our days are going to end, but we know they're going to. We know God's in control. He says, Psalm 90, verse 10, the length of our days is to be 70 years or 80 if you have the strength. Their span is but trouble and sorrow for it will quickly pass away and then you will fly away. So we're up to 90 years or down to nine. We start out, you know, 900 years and then 600 for some of them. Then we got down to 120 we saw. Now we're down to 90. You know, and it is what we live with today. Uh, It varies from person to person, but it takes a lot of strength to live into the 80s. It drains people. In Job 121, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. The name of the Lord be praised. So it comes back to our first song this morning, I think it was, about praising God. Whether we're alive or whether we're dying or whether we're withering away or whether we're deteriorating in our body, we praise the Lord. Life seems out of control. We praise the Lord. And why do we do that when we see all around us that it seems like life is out of control to us? Even in our own lives, or maybe stuff going on, it seems like it's out of control. But from God's perspective, everything is under control. We can rest in that. Because he is exalted through that. Number three, the blessings of God's providence in life. What is the benefits of knowing this? That there are blessings from God's providence for us. We're all under, of course, the common grace of God that every person on earth lives under because every person that's breathing, it's a gift from God. It's God's grace. But we have that special grace that non-believers do not have, that God is in us through the Holy Spirit working with us. So what are the benefits of this, of having this security? How are you displaying this to people around you that you work with, family, your children? What are you teaching them by your lives? Letter A, here's what we need to be looking at. He will take care of us. Um, There's no question about it. He will take care of us. Even if we die, we're going to heaven. There was an older couple that got to go to heaven finally after living a hard life here on earth. And they're walking along and enjoying the streets of gold. And finally the, the husband just stops. He looks at his wife. He says, you see how wonderful all this is? And she goes, yes. And he said, if you would have let me keep eating sugar and carbs, we could have been here 10 years ago. (laughs) That woke everybody up, huh? (laughs) 
God will take care of us. Now, we can't be reckless either. We, we know that. We may not live that, but we know that. So 1 Peter 1.7, these have come so that you're talking about trials in life. This is about crucibles. These have come so that your faith, which is greater worth than gold, that perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise and glory and honor. That is why we come to God, to depend on him, why we pray to him. And we should take every advantage of all that God does for us, even through his disciplining us, because it's to make us stronger. So we come down to the end. What will you resolve in your heart, in your life today that will help you appreciate life and death according to God's providence? And how can that be a witness to people around you? More and more each day, we are to put all our eggs in one basket, and that is Jesus Christ, our life in him. And the only way we can do that is learn more and more of who he is. And once we learn that, we need to be surrounding our life and our thoughts with Christ from the scriptures, being in the scriptures, learning them in all that we do. And then what we learn from that is in Philippians 4, 11. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned. It takes learning to be content. Content means to be satisfied with what the Lord has chosen, seeing to it that we have what we have right now. You may have more, you may have less next month. But we learn to be content. Verse 12, says, I know what it is to be in need, have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every circumstance. And that's what the peace of God is all about. So as you consider your own death, are you purposely seeking God's purpose in living this out? Do you think about that after you leave here, as you go through the week, the decisions you make with your family, with your health, with your jobs, with life itself, with everyone around you? Is it purposely seeking God's purpose? And as he is seeing to it, are you purposely seeing to it yourself? You are doing his will and living out what he wants you to do. Even though he has it planned out for us, we live it out day to day. A strong biblical view on life and death and God's providence is the only way we can make sense of life. And then we come to our closing question in the outline. 
How will knowing God's providence more thoroughly help you improve your views on life and death? You may have a good view. You may have a great view on life and death, good biblical views. But how can you improve that? And I think we can always improve everything about God's providence in our life. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts to live out your providence, we pray for your guidance to be strong. Most of all, we pray for our hearts to be soft and listen to you and depend on you. Help each person here today, Lord, to seek you, to seek your kingdom, Seek your righteousness for one purpose, that is to know you better and to live out life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.